Hello everyone and welcome to Chapter Brothers. This is actually episode one. My name is Nick Ackerman. And my name is Kevin Ackerman. And today we are going to begin our journey getting into um, Stephen King's classic, The Dark Tower, um, the first book, The Gunslinger. Kev. The Gunslinger. Kevin knows much yeah, more first... about this book. This is my first time um, reading this. So this is exciting. Indeed. Yeah, I can't wait to, you know, take you along this journey. So a uh, bit of personal history. When I was younger, I was always a huge reader and my favorite place to hang out as a kid was the Rutherford Public Library and my first exposure to Stephen King in general would probably be actually let, let me go back even further. Also huge Star Wars fan and the first time that I saw episode 1 went at midnight uh with our other brother uh Matt. Uh, who, you know, may come on an episode one day if we, you know, do a one-off or something. But for the moment, uh, so I w went with Matt to see episode one on midnight and uh, stayed overnight at his apartment because, you know, it ended 1.30 in the morning or something. So I I've always been a night person, so it took me some time to fall asleep and sort of looking around uh, his room, and his bedroom in his apartment. And one of the books that he had there was Different Seasons which is the short story collection that contains, you know... But um, I know this. Is it, oh, okay, uh, yeah, go for it. So I think it's that's Shawshank, right? Correct. Um, Stand By Me. Correct. Uh, which at the time was called The Body, but Stand uh, By Me is just, I feel like, a better title. Right, right. But you can't... I mean, actually, Stephen King does put uh, song references into his books every, now, every so often, but this one I don't think was in The Body, but I'll have to double check. Huh. But, okay, so you are you got two out of four. What are the other uh, what are the other two? App Pupil? Is that... Yes. App Pupil. Oh, my gosh. It was a book... Or... I just looked this up the other day, and I forget. It was, like, a, a woman who, like, was, like, decapitated or something, and still... Oh, what the heck was the name of it? What is it, Kev? It's called The Breathing Method. That's... And you're exactly right. It's about an unmarried woman who is in... I forget if it's, like, the 50s or 60s, but it's some point where, you know, basically, Lamaze was just sort of in its infancy, and this doctor is kind of, like, teaching her Lamaze as a way of not only, you know, controlling, like, the pain of childbirth, but also she then, later on, she uses it as a means of dealing with, like, anger in some sort of, like... uh I think she gets like fired from her job because they find out that she's pregnant. So she starts, as she calls it, uh, you know, locomotive breathing, and uh, you know, like <laughs> uh, in the woman's face as she's being fired, and so just kind of freaks out this woman. So it's like it's a fun little moment, and then yes, as you said, as the woman is uh, you know being brought to the hospital, there's a car accident, and she gets a, she gets decapitated, oh, but the her body keeps going through the act of childbirth, and the baby is born healthy. So it's you know it's a crazy short story, and understandably the only one of the collection that has not been adapted to you know a movie of any kind. So because uh, that one might be a little bit of a tough ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's a yeah. Rough. Maybe they can find a way. A little to rough, do it. but but yeah. yeah so that was my yeah. Go ahead. Oh, so that was my first uh, the my first exposure to Stephen King. A few years later, uh, also uh, a recommendation um, from our brother Matt. He loaned me The Stand, and I was probably let's see, 
the episode one was 1999 so i was 13 so either eighth grade or uh, starting high school was the first time that i read the stand and of course it was the unabridged second edition which is 1000 uh 138 pages or 1,316 it's over a thousand pages in any case I used to know the number off the top of my head is that a but George Lucas 1138 that just snuck in there or? it may have been it may have been <laughs> that may be why my head went to 1138 but it is definitely one of my you know personal numbers of power but um so from the after those two books I was hooked I you know uh started reading all sorts of Stephen King books and when I got my young adults library card, or maybe it was just an adult library card, I, I don't know if there are, there might just be two cards in general. Yeah, when, when I started a, reading, do you get a discount if you're a, a young adult? Or a, it's free for <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's true. I think it's more just about you know you get access to the the adult library and all of its areas. But you know, of course, the first thing you're going to go to is the young adult section, okay. and I just have a very specific memory of going to the young adult section of the public library and reading Carrie but I for some reason I started reading it at the library and because the opening scene of Carrie is women in a girl's locker room and there's a whole period thing I was like oh I can't take this home <laughs> so I would literally read the book chapter by chapter at the library I would sort of like like dog ear the page a little bit and then I would just put it back on the shelf and then come back for it later I never actually took it home wow that's funny. Yeah, I guess our parents That's were a little bit... Well, I don't think they would have minded about that one too much. First tape uh, I ever I don't know. was uh, George like... Michael Faith, and they uh, they took it away. They, they didn't like yeah. it. There was a song called it's... I Want Your Sex on there. I was only Indeed. seven years little... old at the time, and that... Uh, seven is a out. little bit early for <laughs> I Want Your Sex. I just, yeah, that well, one I, I could kind of understand. Uh, I just like the song Faith, you know? It was a great song. Exactly. You know, it's the pop hit, you know? <laughs> and uh, what uh, what could, uh, you know, some uh, very Catholic parents have wrong with a song called Faith? <laughs> That's what I thought. So, um, <laughs> just another little bit more um, backstory on Kevin and I and our family. We are one of eight kids, and as he said, Indeed. it was uh, a very Catholic upbringing. Our parents started a church the community of god's love um so yeah in many ways kevin i never really got into to stephen king i wasn't mo much of a horror guy um what i know knew about stephen king was the movies and that i mm -hmm. never went to see them i was like that looks too scary <laughs> i've always been a wuss for years and finally i'm really i'm like oh okay i was just a wuss and this guy is an amazing writer he is an amazing writer. I, like the his, detail, not only like the the detail and the like the prose is is great. Like he always gets his reputation for sort of being this like horror writer and shock jock or whatever. But when it comes down to like reading the actual words on the page, not only maybe like the the stories and the setups are what draw you in, but it's you know the the characters and the you know like the specific word choice that he uses that is the reason why he's been this amazing writer for decades and he's been able to hold on to such an incredibly loyal fan base totally so back to you know the oh, book at hand <laughs> no, no 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 problem so the book at hand uh right now here we've got uh, today we're reading the gunslinger and i've always been sort of a sci-fi guy so you know 
this one, the gunslinger, it's kind of a Western. It's kind of, you know, I just, you know, based on the synopsis, I wasn't, re- I was never really pulled into it. So it wasn't until years later that um, our grandfather on our mother's side, you know, he was reading various things. Uh, he always seemed like, you know, sort of a Western reader to me. Um, and when, like after he passed away, uh, our, you know, our mom was like clearing up a bunch of things and she brought this book, The Gunslinger, home and there was a little, you know, pencil mark on the side showing the, that he had read it and I wish I could have gotten his take on it because just coming at it from, you know, a Western reader who's just interested in, you know, the guns in the desert aspect, it would have been interesting to see what he thought of like the later sections of the book, but mm. we haven't gotten quite there yet, but that is actually where I got this copy of the book that, you know, was published in uh, I think 1983 is the version that I have. Let me just check the copyright page. Uh, 1982. So, so wait, that, uh, that version was published in 82, but when did he actually write it? The original version of the book was originally published... Hang on, let me just get my notes up here. I thought I read somewhere it was 69, is it? Or no, am I way off? Oh, no, that can't be right. Um, <laughs> that can't be right. So... The Gunslinger, uh, copyright 1978, was oh. the original time that it was published, yeah, and it was originally... Hmm? I was going to say, a year after Star Wars. And exactly. What, and the year and that Pete was born. Our, one of our other The year brothers. that our brother Pete, yes. <laughs> second oldest brother. It's actually interesting, you know, in terms of my relationship with Carrie, because Carrie came out in 1974, so it's just interesting that he actually had been writing The Dark Tower long before he even started Carrie, hmm. but... The Dark Tower was in just sort of like incubation for, as he says in the afterword to this book, for over 12 years, and which is much longer than any book that he normally had written. Like usually uh, a story that he come up, comes up with, you know, if he hasn't gotten anything, you know, either published or finalized within like three or four or maybe even five years, he'll just say that story is dead. He'll forget about it and move on and uh, keep going along with the next thing. Because Stephen King has this incredible work ethic that for a few hours every single day of the man's life, he is writing always. That's and that is, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Just like, and you, you can tell just by the output of uh, fiction that he's come up with. So that, that's what know, I was just going to say. He's got a few books every single year. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be admitting my ignorance a lot during this uh no worries. Um, first season, I guess we'll call it, of Chapter Brothers. This one I, I do not know about. But so Stephen King's very prolific, as you were just saying. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many like books and like short stories he's written? Ooh, the too many to tell. I would <laughs> say. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you know there are plenty of uh, Stephen King fans who could name you know what are the uh, total number straight off the top of their head, but. Let me. I'm just gonna I actually, Kev, I, to... I got it. Ooh. I got it right here. Um, oh yes, go I was, for it. I was setting you up. <laughs> See if you knew. Uh, I also host a trivia sh- a night with my wife, so I love trivia. Um, so Stephen King has written sixty-four novels, eleven collections, five nonfiction, uh, nineteen screenplays, and sixteen others. I wonder what the others means. This is just the bibliography on. 
Could be just uh, the there was a while when the internet was in in its infancy, and he started coming out with like eBooks that he would publish to directly to his website. Oh, okay. uh, and he was he's Stephen King has always been very interested in the various ways that a story can be told. Is one of my favorite things about him that you know he has always been a big fan of uh, the audiobook format, going back to when it was you know books on tape or you know when CDs for a little while, and now you know most of the time were listening to books on tape either on audible or some other you know uh format uh but you know stephen king has always been he's never been a purist of any kind he's always been like oh here's a new way that we can tell this story let me try it out ah just that whole thing i'm such a big fan and like other ways you know he's adapted a story from one medium to another like he has this one um short story uh collection called that was originally well Basically, it originally started off as an audiobook before it was ever published in written form, and it was called uh, Blood and Smoke. And basically, the the through line through these uh, short stories is that all of the main characters are either quitting smoking or they have just quit smoking, and it becomes, you know, a plot point that they're smoking uh, you know is become relevant so it's fascinating that it was originally an audiobook before it was ever actually published in in you know written form oh wow so that's one of my favorite things about that one but cool. um, yeah, so we're supposed to be started talking about the gunslinger, but we're gonna go on tangents and digressions like this because uh, you know it's all stream of consciousness. It's all it's all for fun. <laughs> I think as we go on, we might have to get a little more organized so that we uh, perhaps. Keep, but perhaps. yes, I'm sure there will be there will definitely be tangents. Tangents will abound. Exactly. Um, Indeed. Also, you know, Kev, I'm looking it up here real quick. It says 1978 was the stand. 1982 was the gunslinger. Ah, so there is where the the story of the gunslinger has ver- uh, a, a lot of you know twists and turns of it. So originally, let's all right. So I'm going to go back to some behind the scenes stuff. Um, so in hang on, let me get the book open here. So in the afterwards, the gunslinger Stephen King kind of gives an origin story to the book itself. So here, let me just read this out for you. The Dark Tower began, I think, because I inherited a ream of paper in the spring semester of my senior year in college. It wasn't a ream of your ordinary garden-variety bond paper, not even a ream of those colorful second sheets that many struggling writers use, because those reams of colored sheets, usually with with large chunks of undissolved wood floating in them, are three or four dollars cheaper. The ream of paper I inherited was bright green nearly as thick as cardboard and of an extremely eccentric size about seven inches wide by about 10 inches long as i recall and standard paper is eight and a half by 11 so it's like a little bit it's like an inch to inch and a half too narrow and a half an inch too short so um uh i was working at the university of maine library at the time and several reams of this stuff in various hues turned up one day totally unexplained and unaccounted for my wife to be then, my wife to be the then Tabitha Spruce took one of these reams of paper, Robin's Egg Blue, home with her. The fellow she was going with at the time took another, uh, Roadrunner Yellow, and I got the green stuff. And as it happened, all three of us turned out to be real writers—a coincidence almost too large to be termed mere coincidence in a society where literally tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, of college students aspire to the writer's trade, and where bare hundreds actually break through. 
I've gone on to publish half a dozen novels or so. This is 1982, so clearly he's gone on to publish almost uh, at least 80 if you include all of the short story uh, collections and, you know, uh, various uh, other types of novels in there. Uh, my wife uh, so far has published one, Small Worlds. She's also gone on to publish several, several more in that time. Yeah. And the fellow she was going with back then, David Lyons, has developed into a fine poet and the founder of Lynx Press in Massachusetts. So maybe it was the paper, folks. Maybe it was magic paper. You know, like in a Stephen King story. <laughs> so basically, uh, his senior year of college, he starts right. He gets this green paper that he doesn't know what to do with, and he starts writing this. Uh, starts writing this story of the gunslinger, and he starts writing uh, on those green sheets. And basically, version one. It, that's what I would call, you know, version one of the gunslinger. From there, he starts. He rewrites it on normal type paper, and he says later on he lost those green sheets somewhere in you know the sands of time. So, uh, it really was cool really story. just the paper of inspiration. Yeah. Hmm? So you're saying that he started uh, the Gunslinger when he was in college, and this is exactly. And so that's that was senior year of college. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess you might be right that that might be where when he actually started the. You know the story of it, um, but then but he didn't get it published. In any case, so yeah, he was sitting in a drawer, you know, not doing anything. You know, he would occasionally sort of go back and rewrite or add things to it every once in a while. So if so, it was eighty-two, then that's uh, that's the year of Teresa. That is true. Yes. The, <laughs> so that's siblings. actually that's another thing that. Uh, hang on, let me <laughs> see something. Now I'm curious. Where where does the Stephen King story align with the Ackerman story? Um, so wait, Stephen actually, because King... Carrie was seventy four. That was Colleen. Carrie was seventy four. That was the year her sister Colleen was born. Yeah, the oldest. So, Matt seventy five. That's Salem's Lot. Seventy five um, is Salem's Lot. Seventy eight. Pete was born. That's the Stand. Ooh, 73, uh, Carrie was actually published in 1973. I was okay, wrong. Okay, maybe I'm so looking at a In, in any site. case, anyway. that's the year our parents got married. Oh, okay. Wow, this is interesting. Because so, <laughs> I'm feeling like while we do this, we're going to be like, uh, oh, this year this happened, and that's when Dennis was born, of course. You know? Hmm. Colleen, Matt, Pete, Nick, Teresa, Kevin, Dennis, Lauren. Get used to those names. Indeed. You're going to be hearing them often. <laughs> Indeed, we might have to put, you know, uh, one of those, uh, you know, like character summaries that they have in the beginning of like plays and stuff. But um, so, yeah. So Anywho, back in, to a, the gunslinger. In, in any case, he did graduate in 1970. So in the senior year of college, 1969, you were right after all, oh, was nice. when he started writing uh, The Gunslinger. Nice. So so 1969, he starts writing it. Then he, he you know book is like going through various phases and then finally he decides to finish writing up the uh first chapter of what we're going to call the gunslinger which is was originally published in 1978 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction oh. october of 1978 so those so the four uh chapters of this book uh, or I guess you could call, call them sections of the book. I'm not sure. Not quite so this sure. is what I'm confused but, by. I still have to get a hard copy myself. I'm actually going to run out to the store today, get myself a hard copy. But um, I've been um, just listening on Audible. So I'm a little confused mm -hmm. about what the ch chapter, because it's the Dark Tower on Audible. 
but it says chapter one, the gunslinger. But then I think mm. it's the whole book that you're holding in your hand, approximately 20 Roman numerals long or something. How many? 21, uh, I think? Something like that. Hang on, let me go to the, the last one. So the Roman numerals change with every, uh, you know, chapter or section, whatever you want to call it. But let's see. So, the end of the Gunslinger, I think it might be 21 or something like that. Um, 20. So, what? there's 20 just in the first section. So, it, this is a little bit like you get into some redundant naming, which is always my pet peeve. That, you know, so the series is called The Gunslinger. The book, the first book is called... No, the series is called The Dark Tower. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. The series is called The Dark Tower. The first book is called The Gunslinger. The first section of that book is also called The Gunslinger. Ah, that's why I'm getting confused. So that's where we're getting confused, yes. <laughs> so that's section one that was published in 1978. Section two, The Way Station, was published in 1980. Section three, The Oracle and the Mountains... 1980, which is the year of Nick, of course. So just Which is the year of Nick, indeed. <laughs> so... Uh, 1981 is the Oracle in the Mountains. Uh, later, uh, so wait, actually that is February of 81, Oracle in the Mountains. Mm. July of 81 is the Slow Mutants. And then November of 81 is the Dark, the Gunslinger and the Dark Man. So basically you can tell that, you know, he had the first section ready and uh, sent when that one was, uh, you know, sent to the magazine of si fantasy and science fiction. And so uh, the way I sort of feel is that he was kind of in the process of writing the other sections and he would send those out to the magazine to be published uh, later on. It may not be true. Who knows? Um, we can look into this later on, but... Uh, not necessarily super important, but just the, the reason why there's such a gap between, you know, section one and section two, and then the last three sections come basically all within, you know, a six month period. Hmm. So personally, the, that seems that is actually kind of indicative of how the Dark Tower series as a whole kind of ha uh, ended up happening. So it's interesting that, you know, this first book is almost like a microcosm of the Dark Tower, you know, overall, because, you know, the first book was published in 1982, second book uh, published a few years later, third book a few years uh, after that. Actually, you know what? I should just pull But he was releasing the these short stories to the magazine along the way? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, that's the original, you know, publishing of the, the this book was in, you know, just individual chapters that... Uh, were sent to, um, you know, sent to the, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Then in 1982, he collected all four, all of them together and published it as one book called The Gunslinger. Oh, uh, okay. So, 1982, he comes out with The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger. And then five years after that, comes out with Volume 2, Dark Tower 2, The Drawing of the Three. And then... Uh, Four years after that, he comes out with Dark Tower 3, The Wastelands. So that's 1991. So we go, you know, 82, 87, 91, and then volume 4 is 1997, Wizard and Glass. And at this point, 1999, huge event in Stephen King's life is he gets hit by a car. And he... Has, 
has terrible in terrible injury his uh what is it his hip and one of his legs is basically shattered so he has to go through all of this reconstructive surgery he has to basically have this huge like cage type thing over his leg mm. um i know a little and... something about that so that's cool i was in a bad Indeed, car accident yeah, if you want myself. to go off broke my pelvis in many spots and that was in 2003 so that was almost like near the year what was it 99 when he got his accident 99 yeah june uh june of 1999 actually when did you get in your accident 2003 well yeah but i'm saying like uh like what month or whatever oh it was uh it was june 30th which is now my uh Hmm. wedding anniversary so that's fun there you go (laughs) turning a negative into a positive rewriting your own history of the of what that day means i love it totally um and so his accident was in maine everything seems like everything in his life happened in maine Oh yeah, totally. He's been, uh, you know, he w- his went to college at the University of Maine in Orono. Um, he basically, you know, lived in Maine for almost all of his life. It, I think when he was a kid, he lived for a while in Connecticut. Um, in any case, so 2003, you got into your accident. 2003, uh, book five of The Dark Tower comes out uh, oh, wow. after a, indeed, after a four-year hiatus of, you know, him getting hit by the car and all Oh no, a six-year hiatus. Sorry, uh, from Wizard and Glass being published in ninety-seven. So, so were people then, at the time like chomping at the bit, wanting the next oh, one to come out? You, you? you have no idea. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, you have the the amount of fan mail that uh, Stephen King has talked about in various, you know, either behind the scenes of, you know, well, not behind the scenes of, but in various afterwards to each edition, he'll talk about, you know, people wanting to know what happens next, wanting to know what happens to, you know, the gunslinger and his friends. And so the... Oh, he makes friends. Uh, That's good. Oh, sorry. So that's a little bit of a spoiler. Spoiler. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to rein myself in to keep you from, you know, getting spoiled in any of any of this stuff. But, uh, you know, all right. Fair to say, there are more characters in the later in the, uh, the later books. I, but, I'd um, assume there would probably be more characters. Stephen King seems to like, you know, <laughs> characters. So that's a good thing. Very, very much so. Uh, there's. Uh, also, uh, something I should mention is that I am an avid follower of the podcast Kingslingers, which kind of goes in a, which has a sort of a similar format, but you know, we're making, we're t- putting our own spin on it. So fifth book, The Wolves of the Kala comes out 2003. Could some people say Kala, some people say Kaya, uh, you know, personally, I, in the book, they actually say it's supposed to be pronounced Kaya, I think, but it's, yeah, people call it The Wolves of the Kala. Sometimes but in any I... case. That's something actually I like in uh, um, books and movies when people pronounce things differently, because in mm. the real world, people pronounce things differently. So exactly. I, I don't think there's always like, oh, it has to be this way. I think, you know what? Some people say Han, some people say Han, you know, so. <laughs> that was the exact uh, that was the exact analogy I was going to come up with, because, you know, so many people were like, it's ATAT. No, it's AT-AT. And then I think Mark Hamill himself actually tweeted that as they were 
shooting Star Wars for the first time and uh, Mark Hamill was like how do you pronounce half of this stuff and mm -hmm. George Lucas is like do it however you want they could say it in different ways and throughout the galaxy some people say Chewbacca some people say Chewbacca some people say Han some say Han mm -hmm. you know so it's all I, I love when creators are willing to let the work um, sort of live on within the fans uh, and have a life of its own I as love as, when as long as those fans aren't too rabid you know because i feel yes, like exactly it, in some cases especially star wars the fans can be a bit toxic um how about stephen king fans are, are they kind of um from cool? what i've seen <laughs> i mean they're you know the the usual no amount of toxicity of any kind that you see on the internet mm, um yeah. but i would say that you know the dark tower fandom in general to me has seemed much more sort of open and inviting and you know accepting than some of the other more gatekeeped fandoms that i've seen um and i feel like the dark tower fandom to be in specifics is you know i feel like it's it's a little bit redundant to say that you know stephen king fans tend to be big readers but <laughs> no uh <laughs> no way but um but personally i feel like because of the medium of uh the dark tower series because it's you know a set of books that deals so specifically with storytelling and you know as we'll eventually get to in the dark tower the me the means by which the story is told is a you know uh, a mechanic within this first section of the gunslinger and we'll get into that later but um but yeah basically St uh, Stephen King fans, I feel like, are a lot less toxic than I would say Star Wars fans on in in general. I would say are not because us. you know we're, not we're us. Nice. No, the two of yeah, <laughs> uh, you know the two of us have been you know lifelong Star Wars fans, but I feel like we've always been much more. Uh, I guess just allowing of chaos, if if that, that's a way of putting it. Like, I've recently been getting much more into Dungeons & Dragons, and, you know, the alignment chart, I feel like, has got to be something that we've got to talk about throughout this series of, you know, where does any particular character stand? Are they, you know, lawful or chaotic? Yeah. Are they, you know, good or evil? Like, you know, I feel like that's you know sort of a useful metric in determining you know how the characters are are behaving in any point in time well that that's, so. so as i was saying before i just you know listened to the the gunslinger part on audible my problem is mm -hmm. sometimes with with listening is i'm not fully paying attention um mm -hmm. i have a bit of add that probably went i undiagnosed for years but um I, my mind definitely wanders and as i was uh as I was listening, I was definitely not taking it all in. I definitely need to um, go back and read it much more carefully and thoughtfully. But wait, what were you just saying? I, I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> just like that. As I was talking Case about... Case in point. <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. But... So you were talking about, uh, yeah, the chaotic versus lawful and evil versus um, villainous. As I was listening, the, the main thing that I was thinking the whole time was, is this good guy or the bad guy what what's going on and then i was like maybe it's just not that simple and that's why i'm really Very excited true. to kind of get into this oh yeah uh the the gunslinger himself um which hang on 
Okay, so we're going to keep all discussion just to the first section of, well, the the first subchapter of The Gunslinger. So I'm not going to, I'm going to try to, you know, stop mentioning anything else in the future. But let me just finish my point from the beginning that, you know, the way that The Gunslinger was published uh, sort of foretells the way that the entire Dark Tower series is published in that the last three books were all published one after the other in the span of something of less than two years. Like the book five was published 2003, book six was published early in 2004, and book seven, the final book of the series, well, the... The end of the series, I'll say, uh, was published in 2004. And there was another book published again later on in 2012 that, but that one doesn't, that one takes place in between book, uh, four and five. So it's, yeah, it's the last book, but it's not the final book, if that makes sense. That sounds similar. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the Wheel of Time series, um, I've, I am aware of it, but I, I've never read it. Yeah, I'm like... Don't know anything about it. I'm into, like, it. the fourth book or something right now, but I heard that the last one that... Um, or one of the ones that Robert Jordan made last actually falls in between. And it's sort of like a... Kind of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead thing, where it's like... Ooh, it, I love it. It's like, um, what was going on while all this other stuff was going on? Like, what were these two hmm. people doing? So I always like that kind of stuff. It's like, you're looking at it from a different point of view in the same story, hmm. you know? Nice. Oh, like Back to the Future 2. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> or, you know, to continue on the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing, Lion King one and a half that just follows some, uh, Timon and Pumbaa throughout what's going on through the Lion King. Uh, and that's perfect because that is Hamlet. It's the Lion King. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, okay, so now we've gone through, we know a little bit of history of, you know, the way that the book was published, sat in a drawer for years, uh, then eventually was published in magazine installments. Finally, by the time that the Dark Tower, the, the Gunslinger was, you know, published in book form, it had gone through several iterations. So that's something that I kind of want to, you know, sort of put a pin in things that, you know, Stephen King has been sort of gradually writing and rewriting and publishing, rewriting and then republishing the Dark Te- the Gunslinger several times. And the this I bring this up because the version that is available on Audible and the version available on Kindle and the version that is mostly sold in stores nowadays was actually republished in 2003 right after Stephen King kind of you know he had the idea of okay so I've written the last three books I haven't published them yet I've got kind of manuscripts for the last one so I'm gonna go back and I'm going to revise the gunslinger and this happened I mean I personally kind of I have a complicated relationship when creators do this because Mm -hmm. The most famous example I can think of is George Lucas going back and making the Star Wars trilogy special edition yep. and then and going back with the Jabba DVDs. The tale, you know? Exactly. <laughs> he adding in scenes that hadn't been there before. He's, you know, making Greedo shoot first and then in the DVDs Han and Han sh- uh what is it? Han and sh- Greedo shoot at the same time and mm-hmm. then again he adjusted it again when now that it's on, uh Star Wars is on Disney Plus. So, it's fiction that's been constantly rewritten and rewritten and adjusted and changed and I feel like the analogy that I thought of earlier today, it feels like if 
a parent is standing next to a kid who's riding a bicycle for the first time. And at some point, you know, they've got the training wheels off and the parent just has to sort of let them go and let, you know, the kid on a bicycle kind of live its own life. And, you know, sometimes the kid might fall. Sometimes, you know, they'll pick themselves up. But you just have to know when to let go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in this case, it's kind of like, you know, parent lets the kids go, you know, people standing nearby applaud or whatever. And then, you know, kid gets about halfway down the block and the parent's like, you're not ready yet. And tosses on a pair of uh, training wheels. And it's like, okay, now I fixed the continuity. Now you can go ahead. So, <laughs> All right. so to that me, works. I feel like. <laughs> it, it makes you yeah, wonder, so, yeah, what was their, well, I mean, that analogy is great. Um, but yeah, what was the creator's original um, intention? You know, it, it, was it to make it the way it was or was his original or her original intention to to make it the revised way and they for some reason got it edited because that's another thing a writer has to deal with and you know any creator is the the editing process you know Hmm. so indeed i feel like writers have a little bit more control because usually the there's just one editor at the publisher and they, they have a lot of back and forth whereas i feel like say it depends on who, you know, the auteur of the film is, you know, whether it's the writer or the director. Sometimes it's even, you know, uh, a star who's, you know, like project it originally was. And they're, you know, just sort of hire the director and the producers and whatnot to fulfill their vision. Movies happen in all sorts of different ways. But when it comes down to, well, when it comes down to it in either case, you know, there there is a lot of revising and there is a lot of rewriting in the process. But like I said, there comes a time when you have to know when to let go. Mm. And whether it's, you know, Stephen King saying, okay, we finally have the technology to make Jabba the Hutt walk around the, <laughs> you know, the Docking Bay 94 with Han Solo. Personally, you know, when the special edition came out, I was a huge fan. I've always been proponent that deleted scenes, I feel like, always count as, like, half canon Mm. to me. They always count as, like, sometimes it's just a thing the audience didn't see. Sometimes it's a thing that, like, you know, if a character refers to it as having had happened, I feel like, in that case, deleted scenes should count as having, you know being canon having existed within the world of the story but if it's something that you know changes the way we see a character or changes you know a character's motivations or sometimes you know changes the direction that a plot can go in in that case i would say a deleted scene is not canon doesn't count so it's it's a complicated world so personally when it come when it came out and you know you see Jabba the Hutt walking around in uh Moss Eisley I was a huge fan I loved it you know (laughs) Um, but when it comes to a thing like Han and Greedo and just that moment of, you know, Greedo shot first, Han shot first, I feel like that I'm not a fan of because yeah, that changes, it's, it's, it changes the motivations of, of Han, you know, instead of him just being, well, and that's, I think why George Lucas did it. He didn't want Han Solo to be a, a cold blooded killer. He wanted him to be shooting in self-defense. I exactly. Guess. And that, I mean, I feel like in some cases it's almost the taste of the time changing because in the seventies, anti-heroes were everywhere. You've mm. got the French connection. You've got all of these like Charles Bronson movies where, you know, the hero of the movie is cold bloodedly killing out plenty of people who may or may not have even been innocent bystanders. Who knows? <laughs> but just in the seventies, people were just like, yeah, we're all for it. But, 
But then nowadays in the present, we're much more, uh, the pendulum is swung back, much more back from, you know, chaotic good to lawful good. So nowadays, uh, if a person kills an innocent bystander, they're absolutely a villain. No question about it. Whereas there was a lot more moral gray area, I feel mm. like, personally in the 70s. Do you think uh, that's... You uh... know, personally, just my take. We'll see. You know, I, uh, I'm sure plenty of people know examples of, you know, t- movies and books from the 70s where people were much more, you know, going by the book and all. But, you know, that's just my take. Yeah. I wonder if that's uh, a commentary on society in general kind of changing over the years. And uh, I'd like to think that we live in a more accepting society now than maybe in the 70s and we're kind of on the lookout for um uh villains in our our own daily lives um i don't know i wasn't alive in the 70s but uh maybe it was was just a little bit rougher back then um certainly certainly not as pc and stuff so people like to go go to the movies and see a guy who's like oh this is a, a gritty you know action star who just kills people cool and maybe nowadays people are um their sentimentalities are, are a little bit um, what's the word uh fragile <laughs> you know in some ways in some ways i could see that i mean you know the pc is such a loaded word because yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean there are plenty of times when <sighs> there are plenty of times when changes in the way that we talk is like you know it might seem frivolous but it in some cases is just sort of writing an injustice like in terms of like you know like politically correct like feminism it in a lot of ways you know that people who might think that oh well fine for all man and woman kind but the words that we use actually make a difference like you know saying just mankind implies that you know it's just the only people who matter are men but when you say all man and womankind then it becomes much more inclusive like <laughs> where whereas you know talking pcs in terms of like you know words that were you know may have just been a joke in the past now we have come to realize that it's a joke at someone's expense it's a joke that you know has been used to you know oppress people and to make people who have been downtrodden kind of come uh you know feel like they're less powerful and you know in a lot of ways i feel like you know calling something i mean I agree with your point, but not the words is what I want to say. Yeah, I I didn't put uh, much thought into it. I I just started talking. No, 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 no. I feel like it's something that I want to say, that even though we might call something PC or not PC, or, you know, we might, like, feel like, oh, well, this is an unnecessary change, or this is something that, you know, they're just doing, like, because, you know, the, the politically correct police are after me, like... There are times when I will agree that things are done out of fear and there are time there are other times when I feel like a thing is done to correct a uh, an injustice in the past. So that's all I wanted to say about the whole PC argument. But um per, but I, I feel like this is, you know, it's a worthy conversation to have because it does definitely have a lot to do with the way that changes made to the gunslinger have a lot to do with we have a lot less, you know, tolerance for characters that do frankly somewhat evil things and that's one of the, one of the major changes in this first part is very very similar to that. But I'll wait till we get there. So but in our, you know, Han and Greedo example, it's, you know, very similar that, you know, 
a character that you know we want everybody to see as the good guy nowadays it we don't allow for as much moral gray area uh as you know people were willing to accept in the 70s of you know the good guy just sort of mowing down you know innocent bystanders without uh just because they have to kill the bad guy for the greater good and all. Whereas nowadays we'd be like, there are other ways to do this. You don't just have to keep, you know, shooting and shooting and shooting. Yeah. So I, I guess, <laughs> I guess another way to say that is um, when people are talking about old movies or books and they say, oh, it, it still stands up. Mm, I, to me, exactly. that means like, oh, this is a timeless thing that I liked when I was a kid or people liked in the seventies, but they still, like now and aren't you know um offended by some of the things or maybe not even offended things might just be it, it would just be like out of touch and not uh, uh what's that uh, like uh apocryphal or anachronistic kind of like it just anachronistic i don't know if those are the right words but um like for example i i was recently watching some old episodes of the muppet show and i was like nice oh. I mean, it was, it's fun and silly because it's the Muppets, but there was definitely some like racist things happening. And I was like, oh, this, this would true. not fly today. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, I feel like comedy is so hard to, you know, apply, you know, a joke from the 70s in this case, or even worse, you know, the 50s or 60s or going further back. Like, what was acceptable at one time becomes you know horrifically you know racist or sexist or you know uh xenophobic in, in in you know years later and i feel like comedy has always been sort of about pushing borders of making you a little bit uncomfortable in order to get the laugh or you know making uh you know surprising you into a laugh by saying something outrageous and the you know i'm of course, obviously willing to, you know, forgive The Muppet Show because The Muppets is on my Mount Rushmore of <laughs> it's Muppets, Star Wars, Doctor Who, and a fourth one, just basically depending on whatever the flavor of the month is. But those three are carved in absolute stone at the top of my... I would think mm, that Stephen maybe the King Beatles. would be on that. Mm. Ooh, could be Stephen King. Ooh, could be the gunslinger. Uh, he might be the fourth uh, head on top of my Mount Rushmore. Oh... But that's always my problem. It's always those top three, and then there's a floater of you know yeah. <laughs> where they the you know they're not carving the fourth head out of uh, out of the mountain. They're just sort of carving him out of clay, and then you know we'll see if we want to you know carve somebody else later on. Maybe maybe it's Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons yeah. this year. Maybe it's uh, you know um, maybe it's Quentin Tarantino this year. Who knows? So but it's, it's more like case, it's more like the Crazy Horse Memorial, which is right down the road from Mount Rushmore that will never be finished. And it's just constantly being worked on. Um, but <laughs> Disney World, uh, it's never finished, right? <laughs> also true. But, you know, then, you know, then we get into the other... Uh, but I, I, could, I, could, I could go on tangents after tangents upon tangents yeah. upon tangents. But we're here in. to talk about the gunslinger. So let's bring it all back to Stephen King. I, I the point that up. I was originally... Yeah, yeah. The Sorry, point I, that I was originally trying to make was <laughs> that um, the, you know... The version that you heard on Audible and the version that is, you know, being sold in most bookstores nowadays is the 2003 edition, which has a lot of changes. There are, I actually went through my Kindle copy of the book and I was reading my, you know, paperback 19, 1982 version that may have actually, you know, 
the actual, you know, piece of paper and, you know, the the book itself uh, may have been published in the 90s because it's got that, uh, you know, the this style of, you know, Stephen King where, you know, the, there was a while where uh, the Signet uh, copies all had this, you know, similar looking covers where, you know, Stephen King in the same font with, you know, a colored backing and then, you know, the title with like an illustration of some kinds that came out way later that, you know, wasn't necessarily you know what Stephen King originally planned but was, you know I've that's that's also a, a personal choice of mine that I've never been a purist of any kind I never read you know just the hardcovers or just the paperbacks or you know trying to find the earliest edition of the book as long as it's got the same words on the page that's fine by me there you go. so I was I was just gonna the, say you need to remember Kevin this is a, a podcast that doesn't have video so you can't just say you know this fair, style fair. this style look uh, exactly at the thing that's in why I was trying to describe it visual uh, <laughs> you know but in I was just trying to describe it by words but yes <laughs> I, I you know I'm I am an editor by trade and I am always used to things being both audio and video at the same time that's the way my mind works but yep. in any case so I also counted, I was actually I also counted about fifty you knows in that so. <laughs> oh, oh uh, you know, I, you know. if we're going to try to get rid of my vocal crutches, this is going to be a very short podcast. Oh, don't worry. But I'm sure I will. I'll have some things as well, or I'll just be like, uh, or ooh. So I will try to be oh, yeah. as eloquent as I can be. <laughs> uh, see, there you go. This is my entire ethos that you know, content matters more than style, and that <laughs> you, you know, the, while the style matters. Ooh, that's that's a hard statement now that I think about it. Or I feel like my wheelhouse when it comes to style over uh, content is definitely either singing or you know something that I have a time that I have time to actually stop and edit and you know rewrite and you know I'm also you know I uh, you know I'm a writer sometimes. Well, not you know what i'm uh flag in the sand you know i am a writer i have written things uh that's 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 one of my personal Yay. you know uh <laughs> things that you know it like i have this tendency to constantly sort of be like well this isn't actually the reason and you know i've got an internal m- mansplainer going on in my head that's <laughs> constantly making me restate things but i've gotta just sort of go with my first instinct and go with my first whatever like i was going to say that sounds horrible an internal man oh it is Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i literally wrote a um a web video well originally it was a short story we're we're in the process of adapting it into a web video to be continued mm. but in any case um it was a short story uh where a guy is in his apartment and there is somebody else who's talking to him and he's you know basically just sort of saying whatever comes to mind and then his friend is saying well actually and oh you shouldn't say that and by the end of the story well it's gone through some revisions but uh, don't spoil your own work kev you want people to to actually read and watch this stuff here's the end of my story and you don't need to actually watch it well this isn't the end it basically it never was actually the end but my point was that you know as things change in the revision process again but um basically to, to my point it's just both characters are the same guy and he's just talking to himself yeah, and okay. it was the easiest story i've ever written because it is my internal thought process constantly <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> and i am just always you know being like 
oh, she's hot. And then don't objectify women. And, you know, <laughs> oh, if, you know, this constant like back and forth of, you know, the id and the ego of just in constant conflict uh, yeah, in my yeah, own yeah. head. So in any case, uh, where was I? So I was so talking, just about talking about gunslinger the difference, the revisions. Um... Yes. The, the, so in any case, uh, I've been going through my copy, both, you know, my 1982 version and the Kindle version. And I've been making a bunch of notes of every single time Stephen King changed something. And I can tell you, there are changes on every single page oh of this gosh. book. It's, it's not even just like the major changes of like, okay, here's a new scene or here is, you know, characters, you know, expanding on a line of dialogue or, you know, here is him, you know, like in later books, he has much different vocabulary than he did when he was originally writing the first book. So a lot of the time he'll, you know, change something, you know, from one term to another or in some cases, he'll have like, you know, a wink to something that's going to happen later on in the books. So, but there are like grammatical ch changes. There are changes where he'll like remove like a word or two and, but it still counts. And so I have gone through like the, the, the entire first section of the book, The Gunslinger, and the, I can tell you there are changes on every single page oh and gosh. it blows my mind that Stephen King had, you know, he must have, I, I wonder if he had like the original manuscript of the book, like on, on paper uh, next to him as he's sort of like retyping the whole thing into his computer and almost like reading as he's typing and being like, okay, yeah, that sentence was good. And oh, I, I hate when people like split a uh, definitive or whatever the heck uh, grammar. I, I don't know grammar very well, but <laughs> Stephen King does. And he wrote an entire book called On Writing where, oh, really? uh, uh, yes, he did. And oh, I totally recommend it. It's fascinating. And it's not only just in terms of, you know, for... Uh, people who are writers, who are aspiring writers, and which it's an invaluable resource, but it's also great in terms of, you know, understanding his personal style, understanding... It's semi-autobiographical -autobi as well. I can't recommend it enough. Um, but yes, so On Writing came out in... I think it was before his accident. When was that? 2000. So I, I think On Writing, he had written before his accident published probably afterwards so um so after you know he goes through this entire book on grammar about all of the things that he like and doesn't like when he's rewriting this book he's cemented a lot of his you know opinions of grammar and his opinions of the ways a story should uh be written and now he's rewriting his book so he has a chance to go back and rewrite where what where once went wrong and um <laughs> quantum so, leap yeah <laughs> quantum leap yes so in some cases stephen king is dr sam beckett going back <laughs> into the life of the gunslinger <laughs> but um oh my goodness so, so wow. that's one of the reasons why he, i think he changed a lot of the grammar uh fixes uh, even going even aside from trying to you know integrate a lot of the uh, ways that the guns 
that the Dark Tower you know, sort of evolved uh, organically. Yeah. Because that's another thing that I really want to mention is that Stephen King is not a, okay, I'm going to write down exactly who all of my characters are. I'm going to write down exactly the plot of this story from beginning to end, and then I'll fill in the blanks with prose. Now, Stephen King is what some people call a, uh, a pantser or seat-of-the-pants kind of author, where he'll just sit down at a typewriter and he will just go and so there we shall begin the dark tower the gunslinger with the first sentence which is one of my favorite opening lines of uh of all fiction which is the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed which oh chills i gotta say (laughs) Uh, and so just to finish off my my thought beforehand that Stephen King he starts with a sentence like that and he'll just sort of go and he from that sentence he I don't just, know does he think like what yeah. happens next why exactly. did he follow like, who is the man in yeah. black who is the gunslinger he doesn't exactly Stephen King doesn't know who the man in black is Stephen King doesn't know who the gunslinger is he doesn't know his full backstory he doesn't know you know what his parents names were or who the man in black you know uh, may have been that uh, the gunslinger is following after him he is just okay here's an awesome line we've got good guy and bad guy <laughs> and good guy has guns so good guy is sort of a morally gray good guy man in black fled so he is fleeing so he is sort of like a cowardly bad guy but who knows if and as we go through this first chapter you could tell a lot just from a single sentence you know that's just from a single sentence exactly (laughs) it's it that's why it's so fascinating just the way that this series starts off is that it's just you know roll it's the gunslinger following the man in black and he is you know going across this desert and then basically the the few sentences after that they were just sort of fleshing out that one first sentence so basically first off we start with the desert the desert was the apotheosis of all deserts huge standing to the sky for what might have been parsecs in all directions and there we've got uh, one of our first changes yeah there's a difference so yeah right away right there there's a change because what i'm I have um, something I found online, I guess it's a Kindle, but this must be the special edition because in this one it says, uh, the desert was the apotheosis of all deserts, huge standing to the sky for what looked like eternity in all directions. Exactly. And did you just say so, parsecs? It, are we going back to Star Wars here? Well, that's I a know, real word exactly. in, in our world. and it's Indeed, a, parsec is a unit of distance, mm-hmm. so... It's it's also it's just interesting the ways that you know individual changes like you know he starts off with this very sort of a scientific term in what is ostensibly a western so from that second sentence of the book like it's sort of establishing a little bit that there's a little bit more of a you know sort of a uh, cross genre thing going on that you know the not only is it just you know. Uh, this western that you expect it to be but parsecs in all direction I feel like that word kind of like it sticks in your head yeah, it sounds, but it's interesting it sounds science that it, fiction-y um, exactly it's, in, it's interesting to me that Stephen King changed it to what looked like eternity in all directions and I feel like that eternity is a much more of a fantasy word I would say hmm. and well maybe he, he didn't know. want to give I don't, 
actually I know nothing of what we're about to read, but um, is there, uh, I was going to say, is there a science fiction aspect to this series? And if so, did he then just like sort of bury the lead by like giving that away and saying the word parsec? Could be, could be. We'll see in the future. I, I don't want to spoil anything see. any more than I already have. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm but, gonna be making um, wild uh, uh, predictions. Ooh, please do, <laughs> please do, indeed. So, then we've got one of, uh, then we've got King's first grammatical change, where in the original version it said white semicolon blinding semicolon waterless semicolon without feature, save for the faint, cloudy haze of the mountains, which sketched themselves on the horizon, and the devil grass, which brought sweet dreams, nightmares, death. So, however, in the today's version, which, you know, he went through this whole thing about, you know, grammar and making things simpler as possible, in the new version it says, it was white and blinding and waterless and without feature. So he gets rid of the whole semicolon thing that, you know, clearly a young writer is trying to make it look punchy and, ah, oh, it's interesting and blah, blah, blah. But it's not Whereas, actually you know, good grammar. No. Not actually good grammar. Having <laughs> word, semicolon, word, semicolon, word, it is a little bit, you know, it's, it's clearly him, you know, kind of going through in a much older writer's eye and saying, <laughs> okay, calm down, college student Stephen <laughs> King, let's just, let's just simplify this, this and just call it it was white and blinding and waterless <laughs> it's like uh it's like going back into your old facebook posts and just sort of cringing and being like oh why mm, no <laughs> precisely precisely which is what i feel like a lot of these changes are is stephen king looking back at his old style from when he was an early author and you know both you know as a college student at the very beginning of the story to you know uh having uh, you know, publishing it as a short story in 1978 uh, to finally publishing it as a book in 1982. So this is one of the cases where I understand why an author will say, oh, I went through this many editing phases. So therefore, you know, I could keep editing this book a little bit more and just say, OK, this, I swear, this is the last time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a little bit, you know. Uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football. Like at some point, you just gotta let go. You gotta just let him kick it. And yeah, Stephen King is just pulling it back again and saying, "Oh no, here's another version." So uh, this is just a personal. It's a personal pet peeve of mine. That's you know, but my real problem is when it becomes when the last version becomes the only version. Mm. Like in other things where you know you've got like say blade runner the director's cut or you know the redux or you know the apocalypse now or another is another example that a movie that was remade you could still buy both versions of the film and just one is the extended edition but when george lucas and stephen king are concerned the last version becomes the only version that's available and mm. that i don't like yeah. I, I feel like you know the fans should still have the availability to go back and see oh okay here's the 1977 or 1978 version of this story and here are you know the changes that were made and be able to compare and contrast and that's yeah. why i love you know the I love having like an a an old hard copy of the book and the Kindle, so I can look, kind of look back and forth and say, okay, here's this change, and here's why he made it, and I always want to kind of look into the psychology of the author and say, okay, so this is this is probably why he did this, and you know, 
parsecs versus eternity seems like it's it, it might just be word choice in terms of simplifying the stories because parsecs is kind of an obscure word but it might also be sort of a fantasy rather than science fiction bend from the top because another thing that um uh, okay I, I i keep my brain keeps wanting to spoil things but i'll i'll, I'll hold back i'll hold back okay so the third type of change that we've got in just the first page of the book is the version that I have here in 1982 says uh, a few lines down da, 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 um, an occasional tombstone sign pointed the way for once the drifted track that cut its way through the dr thick crust of alkali had been a highway and coaches had followed it so here is another type of change that we've got coaches and buckas had yeah. followed it so that so what is basically a this exactly so that's going to be our one of our uh recurring segments is guess that vocabulary word <laughs> so basically stephen king since he write since writing the first book uh, came up with a lot of like you know terms for various things that he decided that when he was rewriting which i would essentially call this is he is rewriting the book uh he decided to just toss it in there um, so what is your guess of what the, what a bucka or buckas are? Well, first of all, coaches, they mean, you know, fortune tellers, how droll, stop the coach. Like, it's like a, a horse-drawn carriage kind of thing. Is that what that right. means? So exactly. coaches and buckas, so is a bucka something that pulls the coach? Um, is a bucka another type of vehicle? Uh... <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I I'm, I don't know. I, I'm thinking some sort of animal. Um, let's take a look. Okay, so... Alright, it is not in stephenking.com slash darktower slash glossary, unfortunately. So... <laughs> Thank you for giving me that back. entire URL. <laughs> Indeed. Well, hey, you know, sometimes you gotta know. But... <laughs> Uh, I would not recommend you go there because there are spoilers aplenty. Okay. So, I won't go. Uh, so yes, Nick, I would avoid. Uh, do not read that. But <laughs> let's see. And that was another thing when I was um, listening, rather than now I'm actually reading the words. Um, when you're listening, you're like, wait, what, what? What word did he just say? But they just move right on because it's an audio book. But if you're like mm. actually reading it, you can look at the page and be like that's a word that doesn't exist in this world i wonder what it means you know it's fascinating like i've always just sort of <clears throat> picked up from context i guess that i guess a bucka is either either a different type of coach or it might be you know sort of like uh interesting see this is one of the things that you also you know don't really think about until you do like a deep dive like this where you know you an, an analyze something that you always assumed you knew but you didn't actually because you know like much like like in the case with an audiobook when you just sort of drive right past it you don't really think about it too much but mm -hmm. right now i'm thinking like oh mm, i always kind of considered it bucka as either a different type of coach or possibly like you know some sort of like uh, a rider who's like who has multiple horses in some other fashion but person so i assumed that it would be an easy google search but it, in actuality not so much yeah, so all right we're going to come back to bucca in sure the future will. so 
<laughs> or, so, or just a, a wild uh, prediction. A bucka is a uh, type of flying machine. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> just making up crazy crap. I, I, like I agree with you. At, I think it's another type, <laughs> just another type of vehicle or the animal that pulls it. But are mm. they on Earth? Is this I? Okay, go on. Because I, I, that was something I was thinking the whole time. I was like, is this? Because there was. Uh, I'm gonna wait till we get to it later. But sure, wait till we get to it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like that question because it's true. There are things that make you think it is, and things you make that make you think it isn't. So I'm not going to say anything for now, but we'll come back to it later. So for the moment, our you know first vocab term, bucka, uh, we've decided it either means a type of coach or an animal that's pulling it. We'll see if we're right. So <laughs> next paragraph. Are you, are you taking uh, like notes on these things so we can oh, actually come back to it? <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> um, okay, next paragraph. The gunslinger had been struck by a momentary dizziness, a kind of yawing sensation that made the entire world seem ephemeral, almost a thing that could be looked through. It passed, and like the world upon whose hide he walked, he moved on. So that entire paragraph, that entire, or is that just a sentence? That's a couple of sentences. That is added entirely in the new version. Oh, wow. So I want you to tell me what you think that means. Hmm. Is he like not actually there? Is this all a dream? Oh no! Don't tell me that. I hate it when writers do that. It was all a dream the whole time. Uh, the the fact he used the word ephemeral kind of makes me think of that. That like, um, is this real or not? Am I on mushrooms right now? You know, like. <laughs> is perhaps he's been drugged i i don't know um it's true there's a lot of ways this could go and it, it it is a very you know it's a paragraph that's designed to make you wonder like what what the what, what's going yeah. on so what, what, I, I'm, I'm very curious to to hear your take because i be i had finished the entire series before i read this version of the gunslinger so uh, yeah so i so what do you so you're saying like could be you know could be some some aspect of unreality is you know yeah, either it's a dream yeah. he's on acid some sort of uh a thought like that okay i like that what is and a yawing sense it when is that like a, a nautical term or something when something like yaws it goes to the side it so is the sensation that he feels he feels like he's gonna fall over is that what uh, the definition that I see is yaw, verb, uh, of a moving ship or aircraft, twist or oscillate about a vertical axis. So the jet yawed sharply to the right. Oh, so, he's so basically, spinning, really? Yeah, sort of like a spinning uh, sensation, kind okay. of. That makes sense. Oh, so dizziness. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Yaw, momentary, a momentary dizziness, kind of yawing sensation. The entire world seemed ephemeral, as though thing could be looked through. All right. So, like the world upon whose hide he walked, he moved on. So, basically, 
Yeah, it's just on a, just the the word choices that Stephen King has. It's just it's fascinating that he starts with dizziness and then moves to yawing. So it's not only like both words kind of mean the same thing, but just yawing also has this like it just in terms of word association. It also makes me think of like yawning, of things stretching. Mm. So it's also sort of an ephemeral kind of connotation there as well. Totally. Yeah. So, so I think our, also we're we're probably going to take more time with this specific chapter because it's a lot of introduction, a lot of description. So exactly. for, for it's the, the listeners the out book. there, this isn't going to take us 200 years to get through the dark tower. <laughs> we're, we're, hey, we'll probably you know, we, <laughs> we'll probably move quicker. We could do exactly. Well, I mean, hey, we're going one segment at a time. I figure we got to go. We got to go deep. So <laughs> sounds good. Um, brother. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So, and also, you know, as this is the beginning of the book, of course, we're going to spend more time on to setting up both the the setting of the world that we're in and also setting up the characters that we see. And, you know, because my current, you know, uh, soapbox, I guess, if you want to call it that, is, you know, that the, you know, the... The original is better than the new version. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say unilaterally that the original is better than the, the new version, because I feel like setting up some of the the later, you know, terms and the later kind of uh, characters, I guess, early on in the book is kind of good because, you know, it makes more of sort of like a cohesive world from the beginning as opposed to, you know, starting off with a sentence and working your way up to a mountain. So I feel like it's good to kind of have a little bit more than just that one sentence to start off with in some cases. But in other cases, uh, I feel like it's giving away too much at the beginning, personally. Like, and, you know, I like... I do like seeing, like, just sort of the 70s kind of references and things sort of sticking out because, I don't know, I, I like knowing that a book exists within a specific time and place. And it does it's not, you know, devoid of context because I feel like that's something that a lot of times, you know, when you rewrite a book like this, you're trying to get rid of, you know, ugh, well, I don't need that, you know, Eat at Joe's reference. Like, uh, <laughs> we, you know... Because that literally happens later on in the book. Oh, wow. There is a, yeah, Stephen King uh, at one point. Um, no, I'll, I'll wait till we get there. I'll wait till we get there. Get. So, but I was just going to say, I think the, the reason why he made these changes is he wanted to add a little level of uh, foreshadowing and laying breadcrumbs mm. that maybe because he's a seat of his pants writer, he wasn't thinking about foreshadowing because he didn't even know where he was going to. So now exactly. I guess this new version's like, okay, now that I've made it to the end, let's go back and put some signposts along the way or just, you know, something that's to a good help way of the reader. Yeah, I like that. Because it really, that's what the changes are. They are, you know, signposts to help the reader know kind of where the story is going. And to kind of not only, like, in terms of adding words like buckas and adding words like, you know, uh, a man I holy man. Uh, or I don't know if the so, so that was added to Manny. Manny. Um, let me just double check it because it might. Let's see. So, okay. So he's talking about his hide a hide water bag was slung around his middle like a bloated sausage. It was almost full. He had progressed through the kef over many years and had reached the fifth level. That one is actually in there from the beginning. Okay. The word kef. All right. So what do you think that means? Ooh. 
He had progressed through the kef. Either that's some sort of vegetation that he's walking through, but he's, they said he's in a desert, so probably not. I think the kef is maybe um, the name of that land. It, it, well, maybe it would be capitalized then. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's another thing from the audiobook that you might not know because, you know, uh, Kef is lowercase and it's also um it's so it's K H E F. K H E F and it's also italicized is the thing. Oh, and this one I'm looking at not italicized. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, yeah and the the Kindle version it is. Curious. Oh. Um but either way, so in both the original version and in the Kindle version, it is italicized, but I guess in the copy that you have, it's not. So there you go. Not only is it changing, it's, you know, it's constantly changing between versions of the book. So that's why it's all, it's just so crazy to yeah. me. The, so, I mean, I mean, maybe that's, that's part of the reason why I'm a little bit more accepting of, you know, the, some changes because... I feel like it's almost inevitable that there will be differences between various versions of a story. So, hmm. but, all right, so back so, to the vocab. But also, yeah, yeah, so Kef, and he said he had reached perhaps the fifth level. So the fifth level of Keth. Hmm. I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I mean, this is, as I was listening, I was like, I am so confused. I can't wait to talk to Kevin. But I don't, like, hmm. I want you to explain things, but not give things away. That's going to be... A tough one. <laughs> True. I mean, for the sake of just sort of narrative purity, I think I'm only going to explain things that... Uh, I'm only going to explain things that are not going to be explained later. Okay. So, so let's see. Right now... So, Kef, he's progressed to the fifth level. Uh, uh, had he been a many holy man he might not have even been thirsty. He could have watched his own body dehydrate with clinical detached attention, watering his crevices and dark inner hollows only when his logic told me to. He was not a man, however, nor a follower of the man Jesus, and considered himself in no way holy. He was just an ordinary pilgrim. In other words, and all he had to say with any real certainty was that he was thirsty. So, so from also, that... Right, th right there was my sure. first inkling that they are on Earth. Because mm. there's Jesus, who is a guy who's from Earth. Or unless, I don't know, Christianity has gone to different planets. Or this Possibly. could just be like an alternate reality where there are some things the same and some things might be different. Mm. I don't know. See, there you go. See, that the that is actually our first reference to, okay, so this might be our world. We're not quite sure. So... At the moment, so we're saying, so Kef is, you're going away from the vegetation thing, and we're saying, you're not quite sure? We're just going to put a question yeah, mark I, on I that don't, one? Yeah, I, I got nothing for that. We progress through right. the Kef. Like, it's so... It's the fifth level of something, and so, therefore, let's see, he is... Progressed through the Kef for many years, and perhaps it, it reached perhaps the fifth level. So, so it's a very me, large expanse because he doesn't even know if he's on the fourth or the fifth level. Um, mm. And I so mean, I so like the word the word desert would be lowercase. So maybe it's like for an ecosystem. I don't know. Hmm. Right, so, like, so he's going through the forest. He's going through the kef. You know, say again. 
So you think, yeah, exactly. You think the Kef might be like a location or, you know, type of desert or you know, exactly like a, like a biome. Yeah. If or or if, if I said like the city, I've gone through mm. five levels of this city, that would still be lowercase. Interesting. Instead of saying New York City. Hmm. All right. But uh, we'll put we'll put that one on hold. We'll we'll come back and see if they they mention Kef again. Um, <clears throat> so right after that, we've got um, had he been a manny holy man. So right away, Stephen King tells you he's a holy man. So mm-hmm. um, so do you have any uh, you know predictions or thoughts of what a manny or manny uh, could be? Oh wait. Oh okay. So that's saying he is a manny. I says I thought it was saying had he been a manny holy man. No, no, no. Exactly. Had he been a manny holy man. Sorry. So, he, so I, he's I, not. I, he. Yeah. Ro- the the gunslinger is not. Yeah. Um, but there is manny holy men that exist. There are manny holy men exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Who can go without water? <laughs> exactly. They can go without water and just sort of watch themselves get dehydrated and then just sort of only allow as much water as absolutely necessary so they don't die so in that case it makes me think of like sort of an ascetic uh sort of a prophet of some kind of you know some sort of you know holy person like john john the baptist in the edge of the desert who's you know just uh you know uh meditating and you know worshiping and you know thinking but uh, above all of the sort of uh, worldly concerns yeah, i guess yeah henry david thoreau <laughs> there you go walden um, um i was gonna say something so for sure but also the idea of someone considering themselves holy doesn't mean you actually are and we see a mm-hmm. lot of that in our own <laughs> society today there's a lot of people who oh yeah i'm very religious but then the way they actually act might be different from that so maybe that's what this is saying like, yeah he's not a holy exactly. man at all but doesn't mean he's a bad guy maybe these holy men are which, bad people <laughs> which is a, which is actually a fascinating point that also on this first page stephen king brings up the idea that you know there are holy men the gunslinger is not one of them but this holy man would have just sort of uh you know uh watched his body sort of deteriorate and only you know feeding at the absolute minimum of water without feeling any thirst and it's sort of establishing this sort of feeling that you know religion is not necessarily giving you it's in some cases religion might be giving you you only what you need but it might not be giving you enough to fully live Mm. so it's sort of establishing early on that there's sort of a a theme here of sort of religion and sort of characters sort of um, thinking critically about it in it you know whichever direction you want to go with it but sort of say saying that you know religion might give you like this bare essential of exactly what you need but you would be a horrible emaciated person walking across the desert so is that truly you know the on the right way to live you know if you're only living by what this like holy man might uh you know describe then you know you could live with the literal minimum to stay alive mm-hmm. so i just want to you know put that in your th- in your head that you know to think you know sort of notice anytime that you know religion is brought up 
Right. Gotcha. And as you already said, you know, we've got the man Jesus here. So he, uh, the gunslinger, is in no way holy, just an ordinary pilgrim, in other words. Which is fascinating because the word pilgrim is in itself sort of has a religious connotation. That's what I was thinking, so, too. Yeah, going on yeah. a pilgrimage means, you know, going off like, uh, uh, I always think of uh, <laughs> um, the Canterbury Tales, right? Isn't that the mm, whole point exactly. of Exactly. Going on a pilgrimage to the archbishop or something or see the... i forget exactly where they're going but yes that's a great reference there. that yeah <laughs> spoiler well i mean i mean that's the other thing is that i mean i haven't read the whole thing i mean i've only read really the one story from canterbury tales and like the intro but um from what i remember and assume i thought it was one of those things where like chaucer just sort of kept writing and kept writing and it was just sort of unfinished by the time he died yeah. and i guess you could say he was kind a, of published it he's a pantser as well because exactly. uh, he was just there writing individual story like this is the story of the the nurse and the uh, i forget all hmm. the names but he was just talking about different characters with no point yeah friar and i'm assuming else, yeah. stephen king will have a point <laughs> we, uh, I mean, even if he doesn't have, you know, a final end goal in mind, I feel like the themes and symbols are all very consistent throughout the entire story. Okay. Uh, I will say that. Um, and of course they vary from book to book, right? Precisely, yeah. Right. So, um, th this first page, I'm just going to... I will say that this will stand for some of the themes that we're moving forward. Mm. But I wanted to kind of get into these, like, minuscule changes throughout. Um, before Jesus, it says, um, nor a follower of the man Jesus, and man is capitalized there, too. Mm. So I wonder what that means. Is that just, like, a, a shortened form of Manny, or are they talking about, like, human? I don't know. He's the man. He's the man, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. True. Uh, that one, I w uh, you know, that one, I think at least some context will be explained later. So I won't say anything yet. Okay. But he's the man, that guy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um. Oh, so now they, so, now yeah. they get into his guns. Exactly. So. He, in a vague way, pleased him. So then we're going to his guns. So I, I love that just, you know, in this first section, we're just expanding on that first sentence. So man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. So we start off with desert. Desert is blind, waterless, uh, white, and, you know, he, the gunslinger is thirsty. He, you know, has a little bit of uh, water, water uh, slung across his middle and, you know, talking about how the you know if he had been some sort of a holy man he could have just you know been thirsty and not cared about it but right now he's thirsty he feels it so establishing that the gunslinger is still you know very human so after that are his guns so the let's see the two belts crisscrossed above his crotch the holsters were oiled too deeply for even this philistine sun to crack the stocks of his guns were sandalwood yellow and finely grained here it here's a, a change that I noticed in the uh, Kindle version that I do like is that it talks a little bit about how you know the stocks are weighted to his hands and um, below the water bag were his guns carefully weighted to his hands a plate had been added to each when they had come to him from his father who had been lighter and not so tall 
Uh, the two belts crisscrossed above his crotch, yada yada yada, Philistine sun. The stocks were sandalwood, yellow, and finely grained. Rawhide tie-downs held the holsters loosely to his thighs, and they swung a bit with, with his step. Uh, they had rubbed away the bluing of his jeans and thinned the cloth in a way of arcs that almost looked like smiles. Like, this is such, like, detailed and careful description of these guns oh, that yeah. you show, you know, not only is he defined by his guns, but these guns are the things that he thinks about the most. Like, this is a man who just said, if I could, I would, you know, just only drink the bare minimum of water in order to survive. But these guns are treated with absolute care <laughs> because they're oiled metal the what is it the leather is oiled too deeply for the sun to crack you know the there was a, a metal plate added when he inherited these guns from his father just so that they would be weighted exactly for his hands like he the the guns are also rubbing away at the the blue of his jeans so it's not only a sign that you know he's taking more care of these guns than anything else in his life including his own body but the guns are also slightly wearing away at his pants so maybe in some way the guns are sort of like symbolically wearing away a little bit of his soul oh. or at least that's what i'm thinking interesting i like it mm -hmm. uh, so so we keep for some reason in my head i keep having uh, image of uh, space balls Take only what you <laughs> nice. need to survive. And she's I like, <laughs> I need my hair dryer. <laughs> exactly. Roland needs these guns. He they are, his... you know, he is the gunslinger. Therefore, his guns must be the most in absolute perfect condition, oiled carefully, constantly uh, being kept out of water, being kept in these like, uh, you know, rawhide tie downs and all. So, uh, as I said, I, I have listened to this, but uh, they haven't mentioned his name yet. Oh, <laughs> oh, I've been trying to stop myself. Damn it's it. okay. Right, but I think I knew that um, even from like, there's a forward to the book that was actually pretty interesting that I was reading. Um, and they mentioned his name in that too. And as I was reading it, I was like, I don't think I should be reading this, this forward by Stephen King because he was writing it to the special edition. It was almost like, oh, of course you've read this before, but this is going to be slightly different. He also makes a lot exactly. of um, references to, to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. So he's a Tolkien fan. Nice. And it seems like everybody in the 60s was, well, even now. <laughs> he was all Certainly the since the movies came out. And, you know, I feel like the, the Tolkien has kind of come back into, you know, public thing. But, yeah, I would have told you not to read that. Because I, 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 I listened to the audiobook and it didn't actually have that introduction. <laughs> no, so this other uh, thing I'm but, having had that, but... It was it was interesting. That's where I got the 1969 thing because he talks about how um, he wrote he started writing the Gunslinger when he was 19, which also exactly. is a number that comes up uh, later on. That I know. Mm. And <laughs> so we'll wait all right. on that. So the spoiler count. So therefore, there's one on Kevin. So it's uh, oh no, good. that's two actually. So oh no, I've I've got to keep track on this. Um, I, I I this is the only way to keep myself accountable. So so far I have let two slip. That you know, eventually. Uh, so the character will be eventually named Roland. So, uh, unfortunately, you know, we'll let that one go. So hopefully, I'm I'm not gonna ruin too much else for you. But oh, it's so hard not to say yeah. his name. But oh, but yes. So and that is also another specific choice that Stephen King makes. He doesn't actually name the character until way later in the book. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was so cool. 
It's true. Yeah, he's he's established just as the gunslinger, and he's established as the you know he is he is his role of just the one who carries these guns and can shoot them with you know unerring proficiency, and he is you know all of his being is tied up in these guns, which is why they go into such detail of describing them, and you know it's just also fascinating the just you know how much he's kind of going into all of this and how closely he's uh describing these guns and so yeah like i was saying man in black so it's also interesting that he's expanding on each element of that first sentence first the desert then the gunslinger the guns um talks about his shirt uh you know the no color of rain or dust uh his hat was gone, so was the horn he had once carried. Gone for years, that horn spill, spilled from the hand of a dying friend, and he missed them both. So there that, is another change. Oh, that is a change. Okay, because oh. as I was reading that, I was like, I wonder if this is foreshadowing or, well, I guess it was telling something from the past. Um, but it says that he, he did have a friend <laughs> at some point who had this horn. He did horn. have a friend at one point, yes. And when, when they say, um, like, a horn, is it like a trumpet? Or is it like a... Like a horn of an animal? I don't know. Um, the horn... He doesn't say, so I'm not going to... Okay. I'm going to err on the side of uh, avoiding spoilers at this point. I'm imagining so I'm, like I'm a... I'm not going to say it yet. Like, just kind of a... One of those... Okay. Uh, like a shova? Is that what it's called? The, like, the Jewish... Uh... I don't know that term. Oh, uh, maybe that's not the right term. <laughs> huh. That S-H-O-F-A? I don't. I don't think that's actually a term. I think I just made that. <laughs> I mean, you might not have. Who knows? The uh, let's see. So it's not that. Apparently, a shofa is a scarf worn in the wheel of time, as we just were talking about. Oh, how about that? S h o u f a. A scarf-like garment, leaving only a shofar. I was close. Shofar. S h o f a r. It's a. It's Jewish. Horn that's blown, I believe, every Rosh Hashanah. Um, mm, okay, but that's what I think of when when I was thinking of a horn. I was, it was like something like that, like like a um, uh, or it's kind of an organic horn, not like something made of metal. Mm, okay, uh, so that is another prediction of Nick's. We'll see if it comes to pass later on, or you know, uh, if he mentions what type of horn it is. So. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. So, yes, like we said, that's another thing that he added, which I feel like it's not foreshadowing, but could we call it pre-shadowing? Because it's, you know, sort of uh, predicting something that's already happened to the character, just the audience doesn't know it. Yeah. Well, I think, right. and that's why I noticed, it, this is jumping around in time a lot. There's lots of flashbacks, it seems like, and flash forward. So, um, I, I have a feeling as we go on that, that time is going to be relative like what mm. what are they talking about right now is this something that has happened or something that's happening in the moment or something that will happen i don't know that's <laughs> mm. true at the um like they said uh in the book uh the world has moved on since then so there's just that that element of just sort of you know times have changed and you know perhaps time is relative we'll see um oh that was also yeah. something I wanted to mention because it said the, the world has moved on since then and also in I think that first paragraph it said the world had emptied 
so is this like post-apocalyptic that we're we're getting into this series was there a civilization there that was wiped out i i don't know that's a good theory so we will we'll see how that we'll see if that pans out so like we said you know this first section is just a step uh you know elaborating on all of the various segments of that first sentence so after we go through the guns then we go to um the dark man so i mean the the man of black sorry the man of black um where it says uh you know, yada, yada, yada. He saw the kicked remains of a tiny campfire on the lee side, the side the sun would quit earliest. Small signs like this, once more affirming the man in black's possible humanity, never failed to please him. His lips stretched in the pitted, flaked remains of his face. The grin was gruesome, painful. Hmm. His, his, his quarry had burned the devil grass, of course. It was the only thing out here that would burn. Talks about devil grass for a little while. Um, and then the burned grass was crisscrossed in the now familiar ideographic pattern and crumbled to gray senselessness before the gunslinger's prodding hands. There was no, there was nothing in the remains but a charred scrap of bacon, which he ate thoughtfully. It had always been this way. The gunslinger followed the man in black across the desert for two months now, across the endless, screaming, monotonous, purgatorial wastes, and he had yet to find spore other than the hygienic, sterile ideographs of the man in black campfires. He had not found a can, a bottle, or water, ba or water bag. The gunslinger had left four of those behind, like dead snakeskins. He hadn't found any dung. He assumed the man in black buried it. So, here we go talking our first glimpse of what the man in black is. And basically, we know that the man in black has been leaving little campfires, and that's sort of how the gunslinger has been uh following them following him across this desert and just sort of you know that's kind of his landmarks basically so and... what that what that was telling me as I, i'm reading this was uh the man in black almost wants to be followed it's like they're they're in this like constant struggle of like um like like they because he's leaving him bits of bacon he's leaving him food to eat well, I mean, we could say that he's either leaving him food or just that, you know, some bacon fell into his fire and he didn't catch it. And then uh, Roland is just picking up the, the charred piece. Yeah. Well, could, uh, I mean, could go either way. I mean, because, you know, we know that, you know, he's the man in black is making these weird like ideograms and stuff. And, OK, that's the other know, one I wanted to say, because mm. they mentioned that word twice. What is what is an ideogram? Uh, basically, just sort of like. Pattern? Yeah. Like, I, I'm thinking of it just sort of like, you know, either like a Chinese or Japanese character. Like, it's, you know, sort of either a letter or some sort of a symbol that looks fairly complex, but isn't like, you know, J or E or something. Yeah, like an ancient so, rune. Yeah, like a rune. Gandalf leaving his mark. Yeah. Hmm. So that's one of the... Um, so that actually leads directly into the next paragraph Wait, where he uh, says, I wanted to mention one more oh, yeah, word that I think is important is purgatorial. Exactly. That, that led me to, to a little bit of like, Hmm, see like atoning for some sins of the past, uh, it, or, or just that he's locked in this constant of being stuck with the man in black, constantly f chasing him, but never catching him. Uh, it seems like, madness really you know like uh 
what purgatory would be like that you can't go to this place or this place you're just you're stuck here uh sort of reliving the past i don't know we'll see exactly <laughs> that whole sentence the endless screaming the endless screamingly monotonous purgatorial wastes like i love just that description of this desert that it's not just dry it's not just sunny but it's this endless screamingly monotonous purgatorial waste Ugh. just the words that stephen king chooses to use are just <laughs> so descriptive Ugh. i love it and again there we go back to another of our you know religious iconography purgatory like the the idea of atonement like you were saying and you know like uh you know uh, he's both he is on a pilgrimage that is also purgatorial so um, we're getting a little bit of like through these very specific words we're getting you know cryptic uh descriptions of why roland why the gunslinger is on this quest so here, next up, we've got, uh, perhaps the campfires were spelling out a message, uh, one great letter at a time. Keep your distance, partner, it might say, or the end draweth nigh, or maybe even come and get me. So, in the original book, it says, um, uh, perhaps the campfires are a message spelled out letter by letter. Take a powder, or the end draweth nigh. Or maybe even eat at Joe's. Yeah. So <laughs> clearly, this is Stephen King looking back and cringing at seventies, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> phrases like "take a powder." Nobody really uses anymore. Yeah. And eat at Joe's is also another one. Yeah, I didn't um, even understand. Take a powder. Hmm. True. Like uh, basically, it means the same thing that he changed it to as just keep your distance or get lost. Um, so yeah, I like that change. Yeah, that, think... that's a good change. I would <laughs> the, that one that one seemed cringy to me when I was like 11 years old and I was reading this book. It I was shows. like, Ugh, eat it shows. <laughs> but um, and also a change that was made, you know, uh, changing it from letter by letter to great letters. So establishing that, you know, there are there. Um, we don't say it yet, but basically there is, you know, uh a great great letter great lettering um is you know there are two different sort of like forms of writing let's just put it that way for now so um da, 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 da. so basically also the gunslinger doesn't know if the man in black wants him to follow him so it's sort of you know we're we're it's very um we're not quite sure whether or not the man in black wants the gunslinger to follow him so it's sort of up in the air uh and n not only for the audience but also for the gunslinger himself so the gunslinger isn't sure whether or not the man in black wants him to follow him so it's another thing that we could think about that you know basically the gunslinger is following the man in black for his own reasons and man in black isn't overtly you know leading the gunslinger on this chase so let's see later on uh you know he talks a little bit more about how there's no you know sign of uh the man in black having left behind any spore of any kind uh he thinks about his momentary dizziness earlier in the day of becoming untethered from the world and wondering what it might have meant and why should this dizziness make him think of his horn and the last of his old friends both lost so long ago at jericho hill he still had the guns, his father's guns, and surely they were more important than horns, or even friends, weren't they? So, here's another really, like, 
characterizing sentence about the gunslinger that you know his guns are more important than this horn that he may have dropped or more important even than the friends he lost on the way aren't they so not only is the gunslinger have this assumption that his guns are more important than you know his dead friends or this horn that he lost at some point but he's also questioning that assumption like you know exactly like you know the gunslinger he received these guns they were passed down from his father so we know that these guns are a family heirloom so there therein lies like sort of the assumption that oh of course they must be surely they were more important weren't but then the weren't they makes me think that you know this quest has gone on and he's been following the man in black and he is starting to question you know are the guns more important than these people that I knew and fought in, you know, so, uh, that the people that I lost at Jericho Hill? Yeah. So would you say it's sort of a um, ambiguous, I think is, is a good word. For ambiguous, it. that's the I think word that's I was what trying, you were trying to... But yeah, there's that kind of, I don't know anymore. Is it, is it, is it a good thing to do this or maybe I've made the wrong decision? I, I don't know. So like that moral ambigu- ambiguity... Uh, Seems like it's going to be coming up a lot, and along with that, you know, three by three chart of uh, what's it called, the chaotic evil and lawful. Exactly, evil moral the moral alignment chart. Moral alignment chart. That's what it's called. I, I think it is just the Dungeons and Dragons chart. <laughs> we could just we could call it the Dungeons and Dragons chart. I'm fine with that. You know, credit where credits do. Wizards of the Coast and all. So, um, um, basically, so we okay. also get Jericho Hill here. So that's. Indeed. where he must have lost his friend with the horn um we're not sure what that is but it is also another biblical reference right exactly the, the yeah there's the walls of jericho exactly so it could be a biblical reference and you know it's also like a breadcrumb like you were saying of where he lost his friends in this horn and so it's sort of like you were saying it's sort of like uh a pre-shadowing sort of a signpost along the way of you know that's you know maybe this will pay off later we'll we'll find out what exactly happened to jericho hill mm-hmm. so or there might be basically false trails along the way which is also true great. there could Green be do that. false trails and red herrings who knows yeah late is flint along uh you know he lights a fire directly on top of the man in black's fire and um you know he does this little sort of a rhyme spark a dark where's my sark will i lay me will i stay me bless this camp with fire so as i was reading it i was kind of thinking of our sort of like the prayers that we used to do when we were growing up Mm -hmm. like you know uh god is great god is good uh let us thank him for this food yeah we're yeah yeah, that was it. So, and then you know, or the other the, one, as we were, God is good, God is great. Let us thank Him for the food we ate. That's when exactly. we forgot <laughs> to pray for, oh, Dad and his rhymes. <laughs> Indeed, yes. <clears throat> so, not only like was there, you know, a prayer for if you ate, there was a prayer for you for forgot to eat. So <laughs> it was just like pray. you know, it's a prayer if you forgot to eat. Sorry. <clears throat> so. uh but, you know, and then that just reminds me of, you know, if we missed fast on Saturday night, we always went on Sunday. So mm-hmm. it was this sort of like a sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of a backup plan of religion, sort of, you know, it wasn't <laughs> like, you know, the just sort of our particular um, family and church's brand of uh, Christianity to be a little bit, a little bit forgiving. So, uh, <laughs> okay. but yeah, that was just that was what this little, you know, um, 
as he calls it, just uh, an old and powerful nonsense words, which immediately made me think of prayers, which also tells you something about what uh, the gunslinger thinks of religion. Like, is it just an old, powerful nonsense words that you say that you don't exactly know why? But he says specifically that it's powerful. So, you know, it kind of describes prayer for me, I would say. So the other thing that this reminded me of um, this little spark of dark where's my sire will I lay me will I stay me bless this camp with fire <laughs> sillily it, it reminded me of um, sunshine daisy bottom mellow turn the stupid fat rat yellow like but that also just got me thinking um, and that's a Harry Potter reference for those no um, but is this some sort of magic that he's doing to make the fire happen or is he just actually doing flint and, and stone and making a spark that way and this is just like his exactly i don't know i thought i thought i thought hmm is there magic involved here that would be cool <laughs> it's true we don't we don't know yet this there could be you know uh could be magic could just be flint and you know he's just saying the words that his father taught him when he was a little boy to mm-hmm. when he was lighting a fire so it could go either way at this point um so like we said, he's laying his fire directly on top of the man in blacks. Um, he looks up at the constellations as he's burning this devil grass that there's this whole paragraph saying, you know, devil grass is bad. And, you know, the, anybody who inhales the smoke of it can, you know, have these like visions and things. And, you know, it can become this addictive thing. Um, so, so that goes back to what we were saying before with the Disneyness and the... Uh that is are these things real perhaps he's he's smoking the devil's lettuce here it's devil's grass um, true we don't know yet and they, okay so devil grass can grow in the in the desert that's... yeah it's the only thing that's growing at this part of the desert yeah so, so they're just using it to, to make fires because there's nothing else to burn exactly but yeah. they keep talking um... about kind of the oh all right so the way that the devil grass burns that's how he made the um ideograms that the man in black was leaving basically yeah i think the man in black was basically was kind of just sort of arranging like the devil grass or whatever twigs and things uh in his fire in this specific like exact uh symbol sort of a way it's like he's taunting the gunslinger really like <laughs> come and get me i'm right here and you'll never find one could say that one could say that as Roland as the gunslinger fuck I keep saying it as <laughs> the gunslinger himself said uh, you know he doesn't know whether what exactly the ideograms mean or what the man in black intends by them mm. so like we said very ambiguous at this point um, it, it also got me thinking a little bit of kind of um, uh, I don't know like Native American kind of imagery a little bit um, because it, to them see that. being in, in the desert and taking that, um, like that spirit journey or uh, oh, they have a name for it. Like the, just taking a walk and like eating some peyote or whatever, and just having, um, vision, a vision quest. I think that's what they call it. Vision quest. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's what this feels like to me. It's a little bit like the gunslingers on his own little vision quest, trying to figure himself out. <laughs> I like that. I feel like that's that that that's consistent with everything that we've been saying so far. That it's you know not only a pilgrimage, but it's also purgatorial. That it's also you know um, he's following this man in black, and you know he's inhaling this you know 
uh, uh, some of this smoke that, uh, as we see later on, uh, that built dreams in the way that a small irritant may build a pearl in an oyster. So it's, you know, not only... So, yeah, I feel like a vision quest Man. is very appropriate. That is, I just love his wording. It's so great. Oh, totally. Oh, <laughs> I love it. It built dreams in the same way that a small irritant build a pearl in an oyster. So, like, to have something that an irritant something's bad but you're creating something beautiful with it so this this stuff that he's smoking is not necessarily good for you probably not but it will maybe make something positive occur in the future exactly well we will see because at that point you know he roland falls asleep he occasionally moaned with the wind the stars were as indifferent to this as they were to wars crucifixions resurrections that this also would have pleased him so we're leaning hard into the religious imagery we've got yes. not only we've got war crucifixion and resurrection the three main things that most religions are well christianity at the very least is is known for is mm -hmm. waging wars in the name of christianity crucifixion <laughs> and resurrection yes i guess it was only just the one resurrection oh no it was Jesus. We, we've all... There's Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus, yeah, yeah. Huh. But Lazarus didn't really do it on his... I guess Jesus didn't really do it on his... Hmm. Who knows? I don't know. My, my biblical history is not what it once was. <laughs> mm. True. But anyway. But yeah, so that's where we leave off in uh, the end of, you know, section one of The Gunslinger. Sweet. Uh, so, so far, what do you think of the book? I think it's awesome so far. I love the nice. I love Stephen King's writing. I've always said that. Um, but there's a lot, like we said, that there's a lot of ambiguity going on. We don't. They're giving That's us sure. hints, but we don't really know who this guy is, where he's going, why he's chasing this person. But we've got a good uh, got a good basis, a good foundation. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we from that one sentence, we've established an entire world of this gunslinger and the man in black, and we're, you know, setting up so many different elements of this book that I can't wait for us to, you know, continue reading and see what your thoughts are. So, yeah, I'm super uh, psyched. Yeah, I'm actually going to go um, try and find an old bookstore here in Seattle and see if I can find the old uh, version. It, Indeed, it, it is interesting because, to see the differences. Oh, <laughs> totally. Like I, so in our you know Google Drive folder, I've put a few pages of you know the biggest changes that I noticed in just this first segment of the Gunslinger. So don't read ahead. But um, mm -hmm. so for our in a you know in our next episode, we're going to be talking about section two, and we're going to um, you know. Hopefully, have a few have fewer digressions. Uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, every episode is not four hours long. But uh, yeah, this this was uh, with any time. Whenever we do the first episode, it's going to be longer because we're going to talk a lot about the history of it, kind of some behind the scenes, like we did, kind of our things. So the first episode's always going to be longer, and I think as we move on. Some of these sections might be shorter than others, so we could say, all right, we're going to do section two, three, and four this time because we can do it. You know, so we'll totally see. Totally agree. Um, but we should plan it out. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to read forward again, starting kind of back because, like I said, I, I got all the way to the end. I'm like, what the hell is happening? 
Is he just blowing away everybody in this town? And then all of a sudden he was talking to Brown and the Crow again. I'm like, oh, that was all a story within a story this entire time. So uh, I don't know if you want to cut that out because that has kind of given away that I've read the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, I'll cut it It's out. cool. And now I need to go back sake. and actually read it thoughtfully. You know? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I feel like I like the, you know uh started off with you know just sort of letting the book kind of like run by at its own pace and now you're kind of kind of go in a little bit more granularly and sort of with a microscope yeah totally nice all right to the bookstore so, so to the bookstore <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so next time uh you know you can kind of go along with both versions of the book so that you know you've got the original version and the new version so i do feel like it'll be fun to compare both versions of the the book and kind of see what stephen king changed and why yeah, it's just little changes but they're definitely important changes you know totally uh well thank you all for joining us here at chapter brothers uh you can check us out online at chapter brothers on facebook all right and uh long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number i love you brother <laughs> Love you too, brother. Bye-bye.